0: Coming up on today's show, opposition leader Rachel Notley joins us. What would she be doing if she was premier? The leader of Canada's rollout for vaccines, General Denis Fortin, is no longer in that position. He was removed on Friday as he's under investigation. So what does that mean for him and what does it mean for us? And time for a space story. We're going to talk to a guy who is mapping the universe. Well, as you know, the UCP government has seen uh, no shortage of drama recently, more than anyone would like. Uh, We've had the Premier on several times discussing what's going on, as well as the MLAs were at the centre of all the infighting recently. So today we'll get a look at things from the other side of the aisle as the leader of the opposition, Rachel Notley, joins us now. Um, Ms. Notley, thanks so much for taking some time today. I appreciate it. Oh, no, it's good to be able to chat. Um, I want to talk leadership style with you, because I think that's sort of what this comes down to in many, many ways. Um, You were premier. Now, of course, you didn't have to deal with something like the global pandemic that's lasted more than a year so far. But how did you approach your MLAs? And, you know, they have that right to hold contradictory positions in our system and to represent the wishes of their constituents. How did you balance that against party unity?
1: Well, you know, I think that, uh, honestly, there was, in large part, a lot more agreement on some of the big issues that we had to address. I think that uh, our caucus members understood that when we were elected to govern, we had to take a pretty, uh, you know, pragmatic approach to ensuring that we made the best choices we could for all Albertans, not just our quote-unquote base, but for all the Albertans who who uh, elected us. So, for instance, uh, as you can imagine, uh, an NDP government that, that talked a lot about climate change in the mm-hmm. campaign, discovering that uh, one of our biggest policy issues was going to be promoting the construction of a pipeline to the West and picking a fight with an NDP government. That wasn't what we got elected to do. But we also understood that in the in the in the circumstances it was the right thing to do for alberta and it wasn't hard for me to get my caucus on side with that now we're in a pandemic uh, and, and this UCP caucus, the science is clear what we need to be doing so that we are not consistently uh, the province with the worst record in infection levels and all that kind of thing. And yet these folks cannot let go of, you know, campaigning to their quote-unquote base and, and some of their, their hard-held uh, ideas, which, which sort of run counter to uh, common sense. And and so I think that it probably just speaks to, in large part, both uh, Mr. Kenney's ability to lead, but also to the, the caucus. And it's unfortunate. I don't think they reflect uh, the consensus that is the province of Alberta right now.
0: Um, so, how would you have handled it? Would you have got in very very early with expelling anybody who who spoke out against party line, or would you have allowed that dissent and allowed your your MLAs to to voice the concerns of their constituents?
1: Honestly, I think when you get to the point, uh, you know, in a parliamentary democracy, there are certain issues that I think lend themselves to more open conversation and, and some difference in opinion. But when you're talking about major, major things that... That actually, uh, the government plays a role not only in executing a certain policy, but ensuring that there is adequate levels of public support for, for that policy. Then it's important for the caucus as a whole to, to come out unified when speaking, uh, to, to members of the, or to, to Alberta citizens, the, to the provincial, um, population. And so I would have, uh, and certainly did uh, on some occasions in the past, insist that once there was a fulsome discussion internally, um, that that, yeah, there was a united front outwards and that's an expectation. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to, of course, my dogs will always speak, (laughs) always speak what it is they 2021, Um, that's how it
0: goes. (laughs) That's
1: right. But, uh, but, uh, you know, you have to also be sure that you're sufficiently accessible to your caucus to hear their concerns in a meaningful way. It doesn't mean you always change your mind, but it does mean they, they believe that they've actually heard, you've heard them and you've really considered
0: their concerns Um, in watching how you and the party have conducted your communication over the course of this situation i feel like things have slowly changed and tell me if i've got this wrong Um, it wasn't very confrontational i don't think during the first wave more so in the second wave and now into the third wave and i think it started right around the time of the traveling mlas it seems to me like it's full-on attack mode from the opposition towards the ucp government would you agree with that assessment
1: I I don't know that I would frame it quite that way, but I will say that there's growing divergence between the way Jason Kenney is handling the pandemic and and the way we would. Uh, It is frustrating for us to To watch Alberta consistently um, sleepwalk into uh, greater and greater numbers, more and more economic damage, and a failure to understand the consequences of that to Albertans. So, for instance, just as an example, uh, today we're going to be uh, uh, re- releasing the details of a bill that we would like to see uh, this government uh, address in the legislature, one that would provide paid sick leave for frontline workers in Alberta who otherwise can't afford to stay away from work when they experience symptoms, as advised by the Chief Medical Officer of Health. We know the evidence is clear that this is critical to helping bring down the numbers and keeping the numbers low. And we've seen other provinces act on it, but we're not doing it in, in Alberta. So when you talk about increasing levels of negativity, it arises from the frustration that this uh, government seems unwilling to take into account the needs of regular working people who are bearing the biggest load of of the challenges around the
0: pandemic. Um, you know, critiquing—I mean, that, that's what I do all day, every day. It's an easy job for me, and you know, and it's 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 easier, I think, than making decisions from from your aspect too. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. hindsight, of course, 2020. So so let's just hit a couple of topics and you you let me know what you would do right now if you were the premier. Let's start with the pandemic. As of today, what changes if you're in the premier's chair?
1: Well, there's a long, long, long list of that. And I guess I would start by saying that you and your listeners could check out alberta'sfuture.ca which is a website where we've been doing our very best to be as propositional as we can so that, you know, if we're critiquing, we're also offering a different idea. And so you can see, you know, at this point, there'd be about 20 to 25 recommendations that, that we've released around the pandemic itself um, since uh, last April. Right today, as I said, I think a big priority has to be sick leave. That's a, a fundamental priority. Uh, there has to be another tranche of support for uh, small businesses because of the extended and renewed uh, uh, shutdown because uh, the ones that we have in place now are about six months uh, old. We need to be working better with the federal government and rolling out the federal dollars that are being offered instead of uh, fighting with them because those dollars could be flowing through our economy right now mm-hmm. and, and there's not. it, it doesn't make sense that, that we're fighting with them over petty little things and not letting Albertans enjoy the benefit of them. So there are three examples. I will give credit to the Premier for finally acting with respect to the restrictions. And of course, we're seeing exactly what they said wouldn't happen, which is of course, uh, the restrictions do help. And now we're seeing our cases come down. And so that's, I mean, it's not over yet, but it's good news. It's reason for optimism. And uh, so let's keep doing that hard work, keep trying to support each other so that we can get to a point where where the level of infection in our population really is um something that that allows us to to get back to normal
0: uh another one line five you've had several social media posts uh, over the course of the weekend saying that the premier needs to be doing more to fight for alberta's interests as related to line five um mm-hmm. like what 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 should he be doing what would you be doing
1: well, I mean, I think it, it goes back a ways. I mean, you think about all the, the, the pipeline politics drama that has occurred in this province over the last decade, including much of which, you know, Jason Kenney has been a big player in, yet there's not a word being uttered right now when we see the, an actual in-use in, in use pipeline being threatened and, and the obvious uh, challenges that would um, impose on our economy as a result. Um, and so what I would say is that probably we want to rewind somewhat, undo him uh, uh, calling the governor names, and, and actually be at a position where... where uh, our government was able to engage with, with like-minded stakeholders in the U.S. to put pressure uh, at, at multiple different levels to make sure that the message is heard, that uh, Alberta's product is sustainable uh, and and environmentally responsible and at the same time, the jobs that are impacted here are not only Canadian jobs, but they're American jobs and to, rem- and to uh, find uh, allies in the U.S. who can also put pressure on all the different decision makers because there's not just one decision maker in the u.s. either obviously. so i mean it's complicated but the point is is we don't see any evidence that the premier's engaged in this at all and it seems that we're just giving a little bit of advice on the sidelines to the federal government and i'm just shocked when was the last time that's how alberta engaged in energy politics nationally or internationally that's not our role we should be leading we know this file better than anybody
0: Have you in your capacity as official opposition leader and um, an elected official in Alberta, have you had any outreach? Have you worked with anybody in the United States to try and change hearts and minds?
1: I I will say as the leader of the opposition, I have not because uh, it's not something that we have the resources to do. We don't have access to it. And and, uh, I think... Anyway, we we don't want to be sort of wandering around uh, making mistakes because we're not properly briefed on the whole thing. But we would like to see our government to use the resources that well, they have. By Aaron the O'Toole, opinion. I mean Aaron O'Toole
0: yeah. took had a meeting mm-hmm. with the U.S. envoy. I think having a meeting and saying what you just said to me would certainly mm-hmm. would benefit Alberta, would it not?
1: I suppose it could. I mean, honestly, I I would suggest that. Uh, being, we, we don't get the access to the to the information that a lot of folks get when we're in this role. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I suspect that uh, getting that information and having the people who know how to do it uh, with that expertise is probably the best, the better, uh, the better plan and the better strategy for Albertans.
0: All right, uh, Ms. Nolly, thank you so much for joining us. Unfortunately, I am out of time. I have to get to the news, but I appreciate the chat today. Thank you. You bet. Take care. That is Rachel Notley Leader of the opposition in Alberta I want to touch on a story That's uh, of uh, vital importance I think to our country right now We're going to chat with Amanda Connolly Who is a reporter with Global News A national online journalist And uh, Amanda's been covering A lot of the going-ons in Ottawa lately Amanda, thank you for joining us this morning Appreciate your time Thank you for having me. Of course, we're talking about uh, the announcement that came out. Whenever you see a Friday night news dump, it's not good news, and this certainly wasn't. As the leader of Canada's vaccine rollout, um, General Fortin, uh, is no longer leading that rollout. Just bring us up to speed. What was the announcement? What do we know about why he is no longer in charge of the rollout?
2: Yeah well you're absolutely right there whenever you see a Friday night news dump it's uh, it really is not really ever a good uh, a good batch of news coming out and that certainly does not appear to be the case This time, we learned on Friday evening around 7 o'clock, 7.30 Eastern, that uh, Major General Danny Fortin is stepping aside from his role as the head of Canada's vaccine rollout amid a military investigation into him. There was very little information shared um, from the get-go on this, but Global News along with um, the Globe and Mail have since confirmed that the investigation is linked to a sexual misconduct allegation that dates from before Fortin was a general. We really don't have information about the specifics of that allegation, kind of what it amounts to right now. Um, But we did see, again, this statement coming out saying that um, they are reviewing the Department of National Defense, um, the acting chief of the defense staff are reviewing next steps with Fortin. We have not yet heard from him at this time, but we do know that the Canadian Forces National Investigation Unit, which is the specialized unit of military police handling serious and sensitive matters, is the one handling this case.
0: Um, okay, so we don't know a lot of the details around the case. We do know it centers around sexual misconduct, though, right? I mean, that's the, the assumption that we're operating under here?
2: Correct. Yes. Global News has confirmed the investigation is linked to a sexual misconduct allegation. The details of that, though, we do not yet know at this time.
0: Um, Okay. Now, in terms of the vaccine rollout program in our country, where does this leave that? Uh, Who's taking over that and will it affect it at all?
2: That really is, I think, a a question on a lot of people's minds right now. Of course, uh, Major General Fortin has been the head of Canada's vaccine rollout, uh, working with the Public Health Agency of Canada. He was seconded from the military to go and lead that rollout effort in November. From what we're hearing um, so far, the sense that we're getting, I, I think it's unlikely that this would have really a significant effect on the vaccine rollout because of the fact that when Fortin was seconded over to PHAC, he wasn't the only one from the military who went there. There were roughly uh, about two dozen members of the military who were seconded to pHAC along with him. Uh, there, there is quite a large infrastructure in place right now, mm-hmm. rolling all of this out. The plans have already been put into place. He has been kind of the public face of that and leading that behind the scenes as well. When we get to this stage, though, typically with things like this, um, I, I think that the, the general sense right now is that the plans and the, the rollout are so much in place that they're moving quickly to try and find a replacement, but it's unlikely so far, from what we've seen, to have kind of a really significant impact on stopping that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Th- that's the hope, at least. Uh, in terms of his specific case, are we expecting to hear more? I mean, I know when the, the Defence Department came out and made their their announcement late Friday night, they said they'd be offering no further comment, but I imagine somebody will have to. I mean, this is an ongoing story you've had for months in this country now, and uh, this is just the latest example. So do we know uh, if the Prime Minister or the Defence Minister or somebody with the Canadian Forces is planning to at least speak with the media and give us some Explanation around what's happening here.
2: We're watching for that. Actually, within the next hour, here, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is set to speak on a separate matter and hold a press conference on a separate matter at about twelve thirty Eastern Time. Uh, of course, when he's there, we we do expect that he will face questions about what is going on here, whether um, who the replacement for Major General Farkham will be, um, if that person will be named immediately, or if there'll be a wait for that uh, that name to come forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, And really kind of what his reaction is overall to this, of course, we know that the government has been under a lot of pressure to get the vaccine rollout moving to make sure that all of the doses being brought into Canada are moving into arms as quickly as possible and working with the provinces on that. And so I would certainly expect that we're going to hear a response from Trudeau on that, at the very least commenting on um, whether he thinks this will have an effect on the vaccine rollout.
0: Okay. Yeah, we'll watch and wait. Uh, Thank you for your reporting this morning, Amanda. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is Amanda Connolly, who is a national online journalist with Global News. I don't know if you saw the 60 Minutes piece last night on UFOs. Uh, If you're into this sort of thing, you should check it out. All about the discussion that we had a little over a week ago now. And the definite impression is it leaves, there's something out there. We don't know what it is. We don't know where it comes from, and that's the whole point. They truly are unidentified flying objects. It's a very, very cool story. We're going to be talking about another very cool story, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm in over my head on this one. We're talking about space maps, huge, massive maps of our huge, massive universe. Joining us now to explain some of this is Will Percival, who is the director of the Waterloo Centre for Astrophysics at the University of Waterloo in Ontario. He's also an associate member of the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics. Will, thank you for joining us this morning. I appreciate your time. Uh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, okay. Now, I'm just in preparing to speak to you this morning, um, my head started to hurt. I, I, I really need your help to make me understand what we're talking about here. First of all, mapping the universe is basically what you've been working on for some time now. How, how can you even map the universe? Do we even know how big the universe is? So uh, that's a really interesting question.
3: So we don't know how big the universe is but we know how big the patch of it we can see is. Because the the universe all started in a Big Bang about 14 billion years ago. And so if you think that when we see a distant object, we see it as it was in the past because the light has taken some time to reach us. If you go back to the point where the light set off 14 billion years ago and has just been traveling to us since then, that's as far as we can see and we see the universe as it was back just just after the Big Bang. So that, you can think of, it defines a sphere around us, okay. which is the edge of the observable universe.
0: And there's no way we could even guess what fraction or percentage of the entire universe that is, right? There, we, we, those numbers, we, we, we can't contemplate that.
3: No. No, what we do know is that towards the edge of the universe, the universe looks very similar to what it does in the middle of that sphere, if you like. Okay. And therefore, there's no evidence that it's changing dramatically just outside the region we can see.
0: Okay. Now, when you talk about mapping um, our known uh, region of the universe, wh- when you're mapping it, is that like star locations, planets, things like that? Like, what exactly are on these maps?
3: Okay, that's a, that's another excellent question. Um, so, we, we stars are, are kind of like too small for us to see in distant um, in, in these distances that we want to map. But stars are concentrated into galaxies, so each galaxy contains about a billion stars, and there are billions of billions of these galaxies in the universe. So it's actually the galaxies that we use to pinpoint structure in the universe, and it's the galaxies that we
0: map out. Gotcha. Okay, now, uh, this is the part that I'm having a hard time understanding, because you're, you're mapping actual physical structures, but kind of not, because as you said some of these lights, or I guess that's a light source, that you are mapping may not be there anymore, correct? I mean, the, the, that light could have left whatever that light source was 10 billion years ago, and it, or however long it took to get to Earth, and whatever made that light is no longer there, is that true?
3: Uh, it's no longer there in the form that it was when the light set off, yes. We can actually, we know how long the light's taken to um, to get to us, so we can say, ah, the light from that galaxy, that set off in the Stone Age, or the light from that galaxy, that set off from, you know, when dinosaurs were on the Earth. Right. Or we can say the light from that galaxy, that set off before the Earth was even formed.
0: Okay, why? Why do we need to map the universe? What, what, what's the benefit to doing this? Okay,
3: so, uh, so I'm an observational cosmologist. I'm interested in the overall properties of the universe, its density, how much matter there is in it, the form of that matter. And what we have at the moment is a big mystery, a big problem in physics, when we look on the largest scales in the universe, and we find that the universe is actually accelerating in its expansion. Now, if, if you, you know, think of the universe as being driven by gravity acting on matter, then after the Big Bang, you think you know, naturally gravity is pulling material closer and closer together. So you might naturally think that the expansion of the universe is decelerating. Gradually, material should be falling together. But what we find is that actually it's accelerating. Stuff in the universe is getting further and further apart more rapidly as time passes. And we have no idea what the physics is behind (laughs) this. We don't know why it's happening.
0: Okay, we don't know why it's happening. Do we know what that may mean? Is there going to be a consequence to that?
3: Um, there's the, a the big consequence for the, uh, the universe. Uh, we now think that the, the fate of the universe is that all of the material in it will gradually get further and further apart. Um, and, and basically, you know, we'll see fewer and fewer galaxies in the sky and gradually it's just a sort of cold death of the universe. It's not going to okay. happen for a very long time. Uh, we don't have so. to worry about it this weekend. No, no, um, but, but what, what the, the big question is, what is the physics that's driving this accelerated expansion? It, the analogy I like to say is that it's kind of like um, seeing the, the first signs of electricity. You can see sparks, you can see shocks, but if you don't have that physical theory for what's actually causing it, it looks just like magic. At the moment, we've seen one of these phenomena. We've seen something that we don't have a physical explanation for, We've we've obviously given it a name. We call it dark energy, okay. but we just don't know the physics, and that means
0: it's kind of like magic at the moment. But dark energy is whatever this force is that is causing the expansion of our universe but to accelerate. Yes, the okay. accelerated expansion. Yeah. Okay. Couple of and questions. Both,
3: oh, Go yeah, ahead. Carry on. Oh i was I was just going to say that the reason we map the galaxies then is to actually see this accelerated expansion because we as we map the galaxies we're looking back in time, we see the universe evolve and we can see it accelerating its expansion, and the more data we get on that the the you know more constrained the physics is for what could possibly be driving them
0: okay okay um it's speeding up, you know that right, yep, what kind of tools i mean how, how how can you guys possibly do this what kind of technology how do you go about starting down this process
3: okay so uh, i um i have to tell you a story i was once on a, a plane going observing at a telescope and i was discussing as you do with the person sat next to me you know what we did while we were traveling and i said i was going out to do these observations of the universe and they were like oh do you have your telescope with us with you in the hold And I'm like, no. (laughs) So the the telescopes we use, are actually the size of sort of like an office block. They have um, um, primary mirrors that are many meters across from, you know, three meters to all the way up to 10 meters across as the mirror that they use. And um, with these telescopes, what we do is we observe the angular positions of the galaxies, and then we get the spectra of the light from the galaxies, and from that, we can translate into a distance to the galaxies, and then we get our three-dimensional maps.
0: So cool. Okay, some questions from listeners that I think are really good, that I, I have the same questions. Um, people are saying, okay, if, if our universe is expanding outward, where is it going? And wouldn't that mean that other galaxies are moving closer? Or are they also moving away from us? Are we taking over different territory? The expansion of the universe, is it uniform right across the universe?
3: Um, If we look on the largest scales, then yes, we do see the expansion to be very uniform in the sense that we see galaxies moving away from us. Any other galaxy in the universe would also see galaxies moving away from it. So perhaps the analogy or the best analogy here is thinking about a balloon being blown up and then thinking about spots on that balloon. They're all moving further apart from each other. And... That is, you know, just the way that the expansion happens. Now, your brain's going to start in a minute, start to hurt in a minute because you've got to think about this. No, so dimensions. far so good. That
0: balloon thing was awesome. I can
2: visualize okay. that.
3: Good, good. Now you've got to think about it in three dimensions and think about three-dimensional space expanding. The, the difficulty with the balloon analogy is that people start to ask, well, what's the balloon expanding into? Where did the balloon start from? And that's where the analogy breaks down, because space is actually being formed between the galaxies. It's like the universe gets bigger and bigger yeah. as it goes along in itself. And therefore, it, it's not an idea of it expanding into something. It just is, and it is expanding.
0: Just accept it. Don't question it. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one last one before I let you go. You mentioned edge of the universe earlier, and one of our listeners is saying, well, where are we? Are we on the edge? Are we in the middle? How do we know? Is, is it possible to know where we are situated within the universe? Within the
3: whole universe, no. But within the observable universe, yes. And okay. we just call the observable universe the patch we can see. And obviously we're in the middle of that because we can see in all directions around us. But we have no idea how far the universe expands in any of
0: those directions. Will, this is fantastic. We should do like a monthly space segment because you wouldn't believe the number of questions I have from listeners, just general space questions. People are fascinated by this, and uh, you do a great job of explaining it. I really appreciate your time today.
3: Sure. I'm happy to come back whenever. Okay. okay.
0: We'll do that. Thanks, Will. Um I I I it's so cool to talk about this stuff. I don't think I understand it any better. I think maybe I do. I had him with the balloon thing for a second and then he went and blew that up on me. So, um trying to contemplate these these questions and and these realities that are there is just uh it's fun. It's really really fun and uh a lot of you on the text line. Uh, Wazi says, The only thing expanding right now is my head. This stuff is fascinating. Don says, Hi, Shay. It's nice to understand the universe. However, the human race won't last long enough for it to matter. Uh, could be. Cole says, Good grief. My head hurts trying to understand this universe. Um, another listener says, uh, I love how I can randomly tune into the show and discover segments like this out of the blue, mapping the universe. Not what I expected when I tuned in, but I am presently surprised great guest ron says omg such a cool guest it is cool it's cool stuff and uh, it's fun to go down that rabbit hole sometimes but uh we should have will back we should have like a space segment because somebody would just give me a dumbed down version of space time yeah i'm for i'm for that that would be great and i bet you will could do it thanks for listening today to hear any of our other interviews you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts and if you like what you hear don't forget to rate and review us